Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What? Are we recording? Yeah. 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 <laughs> What's well, the episode started now? I, I was. Yeah. I was. I was going to say something, something to do with Texas. But to be honest, mm-hmm. you know, why? Why do? Why do we do this? Why do we let ourselves, you know, get famous for 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 saying a particular bit and then just keep repeating it over and over again? Are we so creatively bankrupt that there's there's nothing else we can do but repeat our greatest hits? In order to recapture some of the some of the the excitement that we felt as younger men. Anyway, yeah. men my co-hosts on this episode yeah, yeah, are yeah, yeah, Davis, yeah, yeah. James Stout, and Mia Wong. Welcome to It yeah. Could Happen Here. Um, <laughs> Hi, Robert. I'm glad you're doing so well. <laughs> We're all doing great, James. Yeah. You've just been having a searing emotional experience at the border. I have, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is busy living in the United States, which is its own searing emotional experience. Um, yeah. And today, today we're going to be talking about the both the most and least American state, Texas. Huzzah! <sighs> who here? Yeah, lovely, lovely yeah. place. Yeah, who who here's spent a lot of time in Texas? Garrison, you lived in the Dallas area for a I, while, I have. right? Mm-hmm. Not a lot, but I've I've made my visits to Texas over mm-hmm. the years. With you, even in the murder house, you you and I have quaffed many a shiner bock together, uh, James. Many. Um, okay, I guess we'll move into the fucking episode. So uh, there was a there was a, a, a an email sent out by TexasDemocrats.org recently with the title "Texas Moves from Solid Red to Battleground." Um, sure. And, you know, like clockwork, <laughs> a lot of Democrats got very excited, um, and. I made a, a couple of people made posts being like, hey, this is the same thing that happens every single election. They are never right. Texas is never a battleground, and it always costs an insane amount of money. It is a con by D.C. political consultants to get your money and pump it into something that will fill up their coffers uh, and not achieve anything of value 
for the state of Texas or for the Democrats nationwide. And this makes people very angry uh, for two reasons. One, they tend to interpret it as saying, abandon Texas and the people there, which is not the statement I was making or anyone else was making. And number two, everyone kind of obsessively starts pointing out like, Look, look at how over the last 30 years, you know, the, the, the things have narrowed in Texas and the, 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 the proportion of like uh, Democratic votes is, you know, raised. This is, a, this is winnable. We can do it. We can do it. Um, we're going to talk today about why the, anyone who talks to you about flipping Texas as a political goal that you should give money to is conning you. Um, and not only conning you, but making it actually more difficult for Democrats to win both in Texas and nationwide. That's 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 the premise of the episode, everybody. Here's here's how Bernie can still win, though. At the very mm-hmm. end, we will give you an. In, <laughs> yeah, an we're, we're going to let you know. He's <laughs> got a shot. Look, yeah. look. If 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 he if he is capable of putting another three rounds of 6.5 in, into a, a dinner plate size target at 150 yards. <laughs> now, uh, that was a, that was, anyway, he, he, he'd have to shoot a lot of people to make He's that He's going to deploy Brianna yeah. Joy into a, to ah, inside ah, of him. Do not say that name. Yeah. Absolutely not. So I, no, I just maxed no. out the levels of my horrible, microphone. Horrible, horrible person. So, I, I want to talk about this because I, I find it like I, I think people tend to interpret this. I've certainly gotten accused of like, oh, you're just kind of being like a nihilist. Uh, this is you're being, you know, just an anti-electoralist. You're not being practical. There was a there was one particular guy who's like a local Democratic candidate who responded seven times to my tweet being like <laughs> with variation. <laughs> and his, his obsession people, was like, if we win Texas, it's impossible for the GOP to win national elections, which is true. If theoretically the Democrats yeah. flipped Texas, the GOP would have no chance at winning a federal election ever again. Yeah. And, and um, like, so sim- simultaneous to this, right, if if the Republican there are more Republicans in California than there are basically any other state in the union. And if the Republicans won California, they would, they would win every election forever. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Gonna happen. Not going to happen. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I am not saying Texas will never be a, a blue state. Um, you know, that is something that is possible, even likely given enough time. What I am saying, the argument that I'm making here, and I'll, I'll provide you with evidence is, is that number one, focusing on these elections from the top down. And when you're saying we want to flip Texas, that's a top-down approach, right? You are not focusing on we want to fill up and win a bunch of different local elections. We want to flip, you know, the state houses. We want to flip uh, a bunch of mayoralties and stuff. Um, You are saying what matters is how Texas votes in the national election. Um, And if you were to get, if you were to kind of eke out a a bear, like in Georgia, right, where you you get a a narrow victory in the federal election, that would be great for the Democratic Party. One of my issues with it is that kind of focusing obsessively on flipping Texas isn't focusing on the stuff that actually will help Texans, like Texans currently being targeted by the state government, because flipping the state in a federal election, but not taking the governor's seat, not taking the lieutenant governor's seat, not like actually taking the 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 state house, um, yeah. doesn't improve life for people in Texas. Uh, I think the the kind of the degree to which the federal government. Biden's administration has been unable to push back very effectively against kind of a lot of the shit that DeSantis has been doing in Florida. Um, You know, they have started to make some attempts is evidence of this. And kind of more to the point, even if you don't agree with that, 
fundamentally, these strategies that the Democratic Party has embraced in Texas do not work. Um, the Texas Democratic Party is incompetent. They are bad at their job. They are worse. People bring up Georgia a lot when I talk about flipping Texas, and folks are like, well, we flipped Georgia. And it's like, yeah, because the, 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 the state elected officials and candidates in Georgia, number one, the state party did a much better job of kind of harvesting is a weird way to, to phrase it, but of, of incubating talent to run for election in a number of local offices than the Texas Democratic Party has ever done. Um, and that was a big part of what allowed them to be competitive and eventually to flip the state. Um, there's a lot of like kind of dollar sign information on how bad the state party in Texas is at this shit. And I, I guess I should go ahead and provide some of that now. Um, so in the 2022 election, uh, the midterms, famously an unusually good showing for the Democratic Party nationwide uh, for a midterm election. Everywhere but Texas, uh, O'Rourke ran against Greg Abbott. He lost by 11 percent. Um, this is kind of to contrast the election that got everyone excited when he was running against Cruz. I think they were like 3 percent apart. Um and again, the only reason – there was this kind of mistaken belief and excitement among Dems that uh, O'Rourke, because he was so close to Cruz, had a real shot of winning Texas. No, he he got kind of close to beating Cruz because Ted – even Republicans hate Ted Cruz. No one has ever liked that man. His own wife can barely stand to be in a room with him. <laughs> His political allies would turn the other cheek if fucking somebody yeah, – anyway, we shouldn't talk about political assassinations on this podcast. It wouldn't, it wouldn't <laughs> anger anybody though, right? Lindsey Graham has said that. Like Lindsey Graham's – like what maybe the only good joke a Republican elected official's ever told is that if you were to shoot Ted Cruz, on the floor of Congress uh, and the trial was held in Congress, like n nobody would vote to convict the murderer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. so Beto lost quite badly to Greg Abbott. And beyond that, basically every statewide candidate that the Democrats ran lost in that election. It was a bad election for the Democratic Party. And people who pay attention to Texas politics and actually like aren't just trying to like grift your donation money know this. Joel Montfort, a Democratic consultant in North Texas, said, quote, it's been one election after another where we ramp everybody up and set these expectations that we're going to finish in first, and then we finish in second. I don't see any indication that we can win at statewide levels or won't continue to bleed house seats to the other party. Um, I love and the this, use of finishing second there, as if there's like a yeah. podium on election. Well, they yeah, some libertarians. Yeah, there's libertarians. That's not out of the range <laughs> yeah, of, yeah, of, yeah, of the Texas Democratic Party. Yeah, to take the L yeah. to like Jill Stein. Yeah, there were some kind of – there were some wins by Democrats in Texas. They managed to hold on to two out of three seats, congressional seats in uh, battleground regions in South Texas. Yeah, but they um, still lost they, one Yeah, they did. They did still lose one. Insane. Um, and the, you know the it, GOP had to spend a lot of money to do that, but like one of the one of the points is that so they 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 held on to two of those seats and they won a contested seat in the suburbs of Dallas. Uh, and, you know, like, but basically in all of these areas, uh, these were like super narrow wins, like these, the, the the big successes. And they were narrow wins in areas that Joe Biden had carried by double digits two years ago. 
And Joe Biden is a historically, like that is part, some of the, some of what will show you how bad the Texas Democratic Party is. Joe Biden is not a popular president. And the fact that he carried a lot of these areas by more than the candidates who narrowly won in 2022 could is not a great sign for the way things are trending. Yeah, it's probably also worth pointing out that like, those southern Texas seats, like in the Rio Grande Valley, right? Like, yeah, the, those people are normally Democrats. Yeah, but you have guys like uh, Henry. Is it Quella? Quella? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quella. Yeah, who like C- is opposed C- to abortion rights? Yeah, yeah, and, and extremely hawkish on the border. And like, yeah, yeah. What do we gain by having like yeah, blue team good? Like, not really. If this person's going to take away your bodily autonomy and <sighs> brutalize people for coming to this country for wanting yeah. a better life. Yeah, it's um, it's like a lot of the some of these wins are kind of like marginal at best, given the compromises or or just given the kind of Democrats who can win. It's like a Joe Manchin kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. Um, and more to the point, like it, it it's not not only is this like evidence kind of that the Democrat strategy isn't isn't working. It's not simply that they tried something and it failed. They tried something and it was so expensive that it stopped them from trying things in other areas where the money could have gone better. For an example of how fucking wasteful, particularly the Beto O'Rourke campaign was, right? He loses by 11 points to Greg Abbott. He raised $77 million to lose by that much. A few years earlier, yeah. Lupe Valdez ran against Greg Abbott. She spent, raised like $2 million and lost by 13 points. So $75 million <laughs> yeah. may have bought Beto 2%. Uh, you know, yeah, like, if you assume like, that national trends had nothing to do with that gap closing by a tiny amount. Like with, yeah. with, with, with $75 million, I could take control of a moderately sized Texas city. Like, yeah, that is like, <laughs> yeah, you could buy a big chunk of Texas. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, like, <laughs> you, you could purchase a large chunk of Fort Worth with that much money. No. Yeah. Um, That's our goal here at Cool Zone Media. Yeah. Yeah. To own Fort Worth. Finally, my dream yeah. completed. I'll <laughs> yeah, be able to. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to buy those horse statues at Las Colinas. <laughs> Finally be happy. Let's um, get Blucifer as well. It's probably a good time to pivot to ads that, that help us pay for our piece of Fort Worth. Sure. Yeah, you know who isn't a waste of money? These fucking ads. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. So... Overall, we just talked about, you know, Beto raised $77 million. The gubernatorial race cost in total something like $140 million, um, which is a huge amount of money for something that fails that badly and doesn't – there's no evidence that Beto's campaign – like he was – he's obviously good at fundraising, right? Um, And there was kind of this belief among a lot of Dems, an errant belief, that this meant that he would be good for down-ballot races, right? He's going to bring the entire – because of how much attention he gets, he's going to raise the entire Democratic Party up. The poor showing of the Democratic Party in Texas in 2022 suggests that that's not the case. And the money – like there are are fights that could have been won – and probably weren't because the money wasn't being invested in uh, in those fights. It was going to Beto. And I want to quote from a, an article by the Texas Tribune here. This year, the party ran Rochelle Garza, a civil rights lawyer with little political experience, against Attorney General Ken Paxton, who was widely seen as the most vulnerable Republican incumbent. But Garza struggled to raise money or gain traction in O'Rourke's shadow and lost by 10 percentage points against Paxton, who has been indicted on felony security fraud charges and is being investigated by the <laughs> FBI for abuse of office accusations. And it, like, it's what maybe she Amazing. couldn't have won no matter what you did. But one of the rules of politics in this country is that the money you spend at a big race, like a gubernatorial race, like a like a, a like a Senate or a congressional campaign at the at the federal level, like a presidential campaign, goes less far per dollar than the money you spend in smaller local elections. Right, ten million bucks going into that election might have done something, you know, as opposed to seventy five million going into Beto O'Rourke and and accomplishing very little. This has been. Not just a problem in Texas, in previous elections throughout the Trump area and a little before in particular, this was a problem the Dems had kind of from the middle of the Obama years until the last couple of like really the last midterm. 2018 is when it started to turn around nationally. And the Dems have learned a lot in other regions about like not spending stupid amounts of money on hopeless uh, contests, Um, but not like comprehensively. So for example, in 2022, the second most expensive house race was the 14th Congressional District of Georgia, where Marcus Flowers raised $16 million and lost by 32 points. Um, not not a great return on the investment. Um, and it was like the reason why he raised so much money is because he was running against Marjorie Taylor Greene. And nationally, Dems outside of Georgia wanted to put in money because they hate her. And it's a trend that relies a lot on social media 
on kind of the way in which like hardcore dims, the dims that do a lot of the small dollar donations, um, think about politics where it's like Marjorie Taylor Greene, bad, donate money to opponent. Well, her opponent had no chance yeah. of winning in that district. Like no amount of money would have flipped that. And you just wasted $16 million that could have helped somewhere else. Like maybe that's an yeah. insane thing. And it, it it's not as bad as it used. If you want to look at like the, like the kind of the dumbest it ever was uh, in 2020, uh, so Lindsey Graham's seat was up in South Carolina. Oh my um, god! And Jamie Harrison ran against <laughs> Lindsey Graham, and Dims again because <laughs> Lindsey Graham, evil, you know, raised a hundred and thirty million dollars, and he lost by ten Jesus points. Uh, Amy McGrath oh. lost to Mitch McConnell, who is another like you can always get a shitload of money to fight Mitch McConnell. Ninety-four million dollars lost by twenty points. Um, either of the di- like one hundred and thirty million, ninety-four million. That's two state legislatures. You could have flipped or at least made progress on flipping, right? Like that amount of money could potentially do that or at least help set up, you know, get a couple of people elected who have a chance at kind of broadening a base of support and becoming, you know, leaders in states that are currently like dominated by red legislatures. Like there's a chance at least here. And and that like specifically the state legislature thing is, this has been a problem with the Democrats for fucking ages, which is that they just- Like, it is only genuinely in the last two years the Democrats have started giving a shit yep. about state legislatures. Like, and this is, this is one of the things from the Obama era. Like, one of the reasons everything sucks so much is that the Democrats managed to lose, like, oh, God. I forget. It was like, they, I think it, I think the total yeah. number, they lost like a thousand seats. Yeah, it was like it, 2010 a nightmarish and failure. Like, yeah. yeah the, and, 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 you know, and the, you know, we were seeing the product of this, right? Like, this, yeah. like, like, Wisconsin was sort of just a hellhole for the last decade. Uh, and you know, I mean, like, and these are like Minnesota too. Like, like lo- there are lots of these states that, like, that not like, not Minnesota. What am I talking about? Michigan, yeah, yeah Michigan, yeah. And there's, like, there's a lot of these states, and you know, like, and both of these places were winnable, right? Like, like they're like the Democrats are winning there now, right? But they just like fucking left, like, you know, they 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 fucking left Flint to get poisoned by lead because yeah. they just not like the only the only things. The problem is there's there's no money for consultants. In in sort of like down ballot like state and like local races just yeah. just jack shit right and the Democrat yeah. the Democratic Party like is not run by sort of like it's it's not a party in like an actual real sense it is a it is a collection of consultants and those consultants only care about senator about the Senate races sometimes they care about House races and they care specifically they spend all of their fucking money on presidential races and you know it's yeah. like and the Republicans don't do that because they have a bunch of like. People, they, you know, because they, they have a bunch of like part of their base, right, is these like small and mid scale capitalists in, you know, in cities and in rural areas who have like immediate concerns about like, you know, there's like there, there are specific workers who they want like lives to be worse. And so yeah, because of yeah. that, the Republican machine is like seize the entire fucking country. And the Democrats yeah. have been sitting around like spending like a trillion dollars on Wendy Davis losing by 20 points. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And it's like you get these um, you get these like cases where, you know, you're looking at 30 million being spent, you know, failing to to unseat uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene or something like 33 million, something like that. Um, But uh, what you don't like at the same time as like that's happening is all of these massive amounts of money are being devoted to these like to to the races that get attention because there's famous names involved. You have like in 2020, I think it was. You have, um, or no, it was 2022. You have uh, the election between Ted Budd 
uh, a, a Republican against the Democrat Sherry Beasley in North Carolina, uh, where the Democratic Party uh, decided not to prioritize this election because it wasn't winnable. Um, and then mm-hmm. Bud won up, wound up winning by just four points. That's a seat you could flip with money. That's yeah. that's not that's not an unreasonable thing, as opposed to, again, the races where it went to and people are losing by like 30 something fucking percent. And one, if you want to know who a serious candidate is, who is not just trying to do the sexy thing or not just trying to like, again, flip the state so that we can win the federal election, but actually wants to help their state. And this is, again, there's very nice things about Beto O'Rourke. I I was in Texas during the ice storm. He did good work during the ice storm, like actual like community defense kind of stuff that I, I, I do have some respect for. He is not and has never been a serious politician. And I will tell you why. He went from winning an election to losing a state election against Ted Cruz, to losing uh, a presidential race, to losing the governor's seat. That is so fucking scattershot. That is not building a base of power. That is not building from the ground up and like encouraging the growth of other personalities. You're just darting from whatever the sexiest and most like PR-driven race is. That's not serious. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I want to talk about what, number one, 
the Democratic Party, the shit that like, as we've said, they're getting better. The National Party got a lot better at this, particularly in 2022. It was less stupid than the previous couple of elections yeah. had been. Which, really yeah. difficult to be more dumb than that, but you know. It yeah. is. Yeah. See, see, Brit- yeah. see British labor, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Israeli got- labor actually is the big one. Yeah. Oh my fucking but, God. No, but I, I, labor I, some- <laughs> I want to talk really. about what has, what has worked and what I think could work again. Uh, and to do that, I'm going to talk about a guy named Howard Dean. Who here knows who Howard Dean was? Uh, Garrison? Sadly. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. Have you have you all heard the video of him screaming that got yeah. him like that <laughs> yeah, destroyed yeah, yeah. His, his career? So I have before. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so, w- w- James, would you load that up for us so we can play that in a second? Yeah, let's do the Dean so, yeah. Howard, uh, Howard, Jamie, Jamie, pull that shit up. Yeah. <laughs> Howard, Howard <laughs> Dean Ran, ran for president and was he was the first national political candidate to use the internet effectively to raise money in the in the history of U.S. politics. Um, he's kind of pre-Obama worked out a lot of the strategies that Obama's people wound up using to very successfully raise money for him. He was really good at it. Um, he was a reasonably intelligent candidate, and then he gave the speech that we're about to play for you, and it completely yeah. cratered his in, – ended him <laughs> as, a, as a candidate. He, you yeah. know, I would say the thing about Dean – Dean is stunningly unlucky that he ran in the time that he did – yeah. Because the, the the clip you're about to hear is one thousand times less weird than anything DeSantis has ever done. Like he 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 ran in an I mean I, I, there was there was Dan Quayle right, but like he ran in an era where like the seriousness and like non weirdness of politicians was so much higher. Mia, it's in the chat, so you can. Uh, Mia, pull that shit up. Get, get, this is a good get shit. Straight to that beautiful scream. We're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. (laughs) That's it. That ended his career as, (laughs) as as a candidate. Yeah. And like it's it's a little silly, but that that doesn't that doesn't that 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 wouldn't be a, a twelve second news cycle today. Um, no, but yeah. a, after kind of failing out as a presidential candidate, he became chairman of the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, and he mm-hmm. was a pretty good one. Um, he his his kind of primary strategic vision was what he called the fifty state strategy. Um, which is don't focus just on swing states, never write a state off at unwinnable. Instead, spread the money that the DNC has around to campaign throughout the country, everywhere, particularly to fund local DNCs so that they can start building a stable of candidates that can attract voters and eventually win local elections. Um, It's not like an easy, it's not a sexy strategy because a lot of it is focused on like the slow kind of grueling fight to build up a base of support and unfriendly terrain um but it worked like really well actually um in 20 or so states uh those that had voted solidly republican in previous recent presidential races democratic candidates like won elections that had previously like in the like gone against them um like it had like it there were about like 20 states where it the the kind of slide to red was arrested and pushed back to blue. Um, these are Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, West Virginia, and Wyoming. 
Um, yeah, you're supposed and, to scream when you do the, the list of yeah, states. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so basically, Dean's strategy led to a net gain of 39 state house seats uh, and a 2% increase of all seats in the states analyzed. Um, they lost two you know, state Senate seats net, but it, it worked great in the house. Um, and, uh, like gained an attorney generalship, gained three house seats, gained a Senate seat. Um, and in 15 of the 20 states, the democratic nominee saw an increase in vote share between 2004 and 2008, which was the years that, 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 so again, not super sexy. These aren't like we flipped Texas suddenly, but it's like, oh, we started to see real gains in like a lot of pretty red states. Um, now, it didn't work everywhere. It was not particularly successful in a large chunk of the South. Like, it did not arrest the slide into the red everywhere. But in a lot of the Midwest, particularly the states that were like the Hillary Clinton's so-called firewall that went for Trump in 2020, um, it was uh, extremely effective. And of course, it got nixed immediately after Obama won election. And this is a big part of why in 2010, the Dems lost disastrously. But like, the basic idea of... We should be putting money into local Democratic parties in order to, like, number one, have, like, a big part of winning, you know, any any conflict, whether it's a war or a political election, is having the resources available, reserves, to take advantage of opportunities that present themselves in the moment. So you have a solidly red state house seat. Uh, or judgeship or something like that, or, or governorship or, or mayorality, mayorality, and a candidate has uh, a health scare or has a scandal, you know, they get caught fucking a 13-year-old or something, and suddenly <laughs> this seat that was solidly red is in play, and if you have no one who can, like, get votes, who can get voters excited, who can run for that, well, then you're probably not going to win it. It's just going to, like, go to whoever the RNC, you know, picks to, to to pick up the seat next. But if you've got someone waiting in the wings, they have a chance at winning it. And a good example of this is what just happened in Jacksonville, Florida, right? You have DeSantis make go, like, lunge to the fucking most fascist end of the right and pass this abortion bill that something like 75% of the state doesn't like. Um, and the Dems had a, a decent candidate there that was able to run against the Republican mayor of Jacksonville and win. And in that election, the Dems spent 2 million and the Republicans spent 9 million. You are not talking about the kind of resources expended that you're seeing in some of these dumb races we're talking about. So Anyway, like, th this is most of what I wanted to get into is just, like, you can win and you can improve things in Texas and you can build a base from which to actually change things electorally in that state, but you can't do it by just, like, focusing on whoever is at the top. Like, it has to be smarter. It's not just about shoveling money into a pit. Yeah, and, like, I, I think yeah. there's there's a couple of things I wanted to add. One was that, like, oh, God, okay, like, so Tim K... Yeah, Tim Kaine got put in after they ran out Dean, and I Jesus, like Tim Kaine might yeah. be is a is like a once in a generation terrible politician, like one of the worst. <laughs> like yeah. you know, and, but like like and you you would see shit. Like he is, this is, he the, is the Winston Churchill of making me bored. Like yeah, like I he, <laughs> and like like you would see. Shit. I mean, and this still happens, right? But like there are there are seats that are winnable. That the Dems, like, just literally won't even bother finding people to run for because they're just fucking too lazy and they don't give a shit. And, you know, this this happens this happens in a fucking lot of races. And, you know, and par part of the other thing that, that happens in this sort of period that, like, you know, is, is the reason why the top down. This, okay, so this is, like, if, if we're, if we're going to actually do this sort of, like, 
complicated electoralism thing. Like, this is why Bernie Sanders lost two elections in a row, is that you can't actually, like, like actual sort of like substantive political change, like doesn't happen from the top down. It it's it's like it happens on bottom up organizing, and you know the, the 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 democratic waves in like the last two years were basically like them eating actual social movements. It's you know like they it's it's them basically like there there there's a sort of rejuvenated anti-abortion movement that they just sort of consume right. They've been doing a very very good job of sort of like eating like whatever sort of queer rights like movements exist alive, and they had kind of stopped doing that for a while because they chose to just like destroy Occupy whether rather than like try to co-opt it. Yeah, and you know I mean there were there were reasons for that right, but. Like part of part of the thing, like if if you if if you are a Democrat and you want to actually like win Texas, you need to have like actual you need to have actual sort of social movements that you know the Democrats can eventually take over and destroy. But in 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 the time between they destroy them destroying them and them and you know like like in the brief time while they both exist and are controlled by the Democratic Party, that's how you actually sort of like build the kinds of the build the kinds of coalitions that build the kinds of organization that win these races. And the Democratic Party has just no interest in doing that, like almost anywhere, basically outside of Minnesota, where I don't know those <laughs> the, the Minnesota Dems are fucking built different. I don't I don't I don't I don't know. I don't I don't have another explanation for that. But like, yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's it, it's like, it, like one of the things that you have the opportunity to do at the local level is and this is you know this is a big factor in like uh, politics in Georgia. You've got people who are motivated because of a, a specific political issue that the Dems are strong on, yeah. like abortion. Um, and you can you can get people registered. You can get people out organizing. You can get people donating money, and more most importantly, you can get people voting um, and voting in numbers that they haven't before, and 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 make. If you're able to kind of harness that sort of thing, but being able to harness that again, part of it is is and this is not sexy. This is not something we can say this is going to flip a state in 2024. But putting in the money and the resources to have people who are being supported to go out and make attempts and to build like a reputation and a base of support and networks in the state, like that's that's the non-sexy thing. That that the number one the Republicans are really good at. If you're asking yourself, looking at all these horrible anti-trans bills, anti-gay bills, um, anti-abortion bills, how do they do this? Well, because churches organized at the local level to build up the kind of support and the kind of human infrastructure that allowed them to take advantage of the kind of broader social trends that drove some of those states more deeply red um, and that kind of like made made it possible for them to do things that 10 years before people had said like there's no way to make this happen. That can yeah. work on the left side of things, but you have to have the groundwork in. They started yeah. with like school boards. They, they, yeah. they, started, they started with going after school boards, going after books. Then you get a base of people riled up that you can go after healthcare for minors and you can go after healthcare for, for adults. It was a very easy path. And it started by like going to the most accessible places to have public comment on issues, which was complaining about <laughs> books inside of school. Yeah. 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 And another thing I'd say about the church thing is like the, the thing that used to do that for the Democrats was unions, but then they destroyed them all. And but, you know, but like you can actually you can actually see what this looks like, like in, in the places where some stuff like this. This is why the state level Midwest Dems are so much further to the left than the Dems everywhere else, because like the people of Minnesota, the people in Wisconsin 
are like the only the only reason they're even sort of remotely in power is because and you know you're seeing this like at, at like in Chicago too with uh, uh, Brandon Johnson is that like the, the those those people are like functionally dependent on like the, their on, on their teachers unions to exist as like a political coalition. Yeah. And so, you know, like and like, like union organizing is a is a like we're just like, like fucking just giving money to a strike fund is a even even if the thing that you want to do is win elections, that is a more effective way of winning of winning elections than fucking giving money to Beto O'Rourke like a seventh time. Yeah. Um, and I, again, when we uh, the thing I want to get across here is um, <laughs> the right thing to do is not say and no one is suggesting this here. Fuck Texas, it can never be fixed. The the right thing is saying, if you're focused on one famous guy running in Texas or the, this like top level thing of flipping Texas, you don't actually care all that much about the problems being faced by people in Texas because that's not really going to fix them, right? Beto's not going to win, and even if Texas flips for an election, that doesn't mean the state legislature flips. It doesn't mean the governor flips. It doesn't mean that things get better for people. Doing these kind of bottom-up approaches, number one, will eventually flip the fucking state, right? There, There is yeah. a demographic trend happening. Um, part of how you flip the state, by the way, if you're actually responsible, is like proving that you can make people's lives better. Um if you want to flip the state, that's maybe more ethical than just being like, what if we dump $170 million to like try to make this guy who who goes viral on, on YouTube or Twitter sometimes look better, right? Maybe one of yeah. those is more ethical than the other. Anyway, I don't yeah. want to rant about electoralism anymore, but as, yeah, a, yeah. as a transplanted <laughs> Texan, I yeah. get frustrated by this. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, I felt like we had to say something. Yeah, I also get frustrated by Beto O'Rourke claiming to be punk, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, oh the least punk God. thing in the fucking well. That's another no, episode. No, we we have we have uh, one poli- we have one elected leader who's gotten anywhere close to being punk, uh, and it was Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders when he when he got into that cold book depository that November morning with a Manlicker Carcano <laughs> rifle. Extremely punk. Um, anyway, <laughs> cutting the feed here. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. 
And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.